Chapter 40 of the Story of the Thirteen Colonies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by George J. Galloway. The Story of the Thirteen Colonies by A. J. Gerber, the Catholics of Maryland. When Henry VIII made a change in the National Church, many Catholics became discontented and longed to leave England and settle elsewhere. Later, Lord Baltimore decided to make a home for Catholics in the New World, as New Finland, where he tried to plant his first colony, proved too cold. He came to Virginia in 1629, but the Virginians, being Church of England people, refused to receive any Catholics in their midst. Thus driven away from Virginia, Lord Baltimore crossed at the opposite side of the Potomac. He asked for a grant of land here which was given in 1634 to his son. He promised to pay the king two Indian arrows every year, with one-fifth of all the gold and silver he found. This tract was called Maryland, in honor of the Catholic queen Henrietta Maria, and prosperous settlements were made at St. Mary's and at Annapolis. Unlike their Protestant neighbors, these Catholic colonists would not allow anyone to be persecuted for religion, and as all except Jews could vote, people of every faith soon came thither, and Maryland was rapidly settled. This colony, however, had its troubles too. There was first a quarrel with Virginia, and then several Indian wars, and when William became King of England he took the government away from its Catholic proprietor, but later on Baltimore's heirs, having turned Protestant, recovered their rights, and were left in control of the whole province until the time of the Revolution. Maryland's chief city, Baltimore, was founded about 1729. It was named in honor of the Catholic founder of the colony, and it still contains thousands of faithful Roman Catholics. Owing to mistakes made in drawing up the different grants, the boundary between Pennsylvania and Maryland became a cause for disputes, which lasted about fifty years. Several times surveyors were sent out from England to settle the quarrel, and the line they finally drew is generally known as the Mason and Dixon line. At the end of every mile, these surveyors set up a stone post, bearing on other side the initial of the colony it faced, and every five miles a larger pillar, with the arms of both families, the Pens and the Baltimores. While all the changes we have been describing were thus taking place in the rest of the New World, Virginia had not been standing still. Indeed, it had prospered so greatly that it had become the most important of all the colonies. But its progress was interrupted several times. For instance, three years after the founding of the House of Burgesses, a quarrel between an Indian and a settler ended in the murder, which brought about an Indian war. Powhatan, who had vowed that the sky should fall before the Indians broke peace with the Virginians, was now dead. The savages, hating to see their former hunting and fishing grounds occupied by the planters, now attacked the scattered settlements and murdered men, women, and children. Even Jamestown itself would have been surprised, and all the colonists slain had not a, a friendly Indian given the people timely warning. Terrified by this Indian outbreak, the colonists no longer dared occupy their plantations, and either crowded into a few of the towns or went back to England. In a short time the colony thus found itself reduced by half, although the Indians were beaten in the war. Some years later, seeing that the Indians were rising again, and that nothing but severe measures could save the settlement, 
another war was begun, and all the hostile Indians were either driven away or slain. When King James I heard that the colony was failing, he fancied that the trouble arose from poor laws and bad government. So he took away the Virginia Charter, and made the colony a royal province in 1624. But although he boasted that he would soon make new and better laws for Virginia, he never did so. His son and successor, Charles, after whom one of the capes at the entrance of the Chesapeake Bay has been named by the settlers, also found too much to do at home to trouble himself about the Virginians, who were sorely tried by tyrannical governors. Still, although they lived on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, the colonists loudly insisted that they had rights of free-born Englishmen. They therefore said that the governors of the king sent over could not tax them or make new laws, except through the House of Burgesses. But as the governors would not always agree to this, quarrels arose, which gradually became more and more bitter. End of chapter.